rain this morning and a pretty dull last full day of young and junction yet strong women began to dance and stone lions to roar There is a saying, if you want to know the path on the mountain, you should be the one who comes and goes on the path on the mountain. So in your inner journey, in your meditation practice, if you have your wisdom I open. That's along with the stone woman dancing and the lion, stone lions. Roaring as your wisdom I open. You can see yourself better. In this journey of self-help, So learning how you get distracted, learning how it is that you go astray, and practicing coming back from those to practice. How can you refocus and concentrate when you lose your discipline a little. That's what this is all about. Becomes a great self-help. Yeah. And getting this on this path, you experience what's called bodhicitta. Have you ever had that word, heard that word, bodhicitta? Yeah. It's kind of awakening mind. But I would even call it something more, well, first of all, let's re let me read to you. The heartfelt yearning to free oneself from the pain of ignorance, to open the wisdom eye, from the pain of ignorance and habitual patterns in order to help ourselves and do the same for others. On an absolute level, bodhicitta is non-dual wisdom. Yeah. The vast, unbiased essence of mind. And I, um, I wrote this down. It's utmost, innermost, crazy wisdom yearning. <laughs> bodhicitta. Utmost, innermost, crazy wisdom, yearning.
Kind of intriguing way to put it, eh? Bodhicitta. Here we are. And then there's this beautiful poem by uh, Wei Wei, Wang Wei, about it. It's called Visiting the Temple of the Accumulative Fragrance. So I, I see this as kind of like our journey, a poem, a poet's. I didn't know where the temple was crazy wisdom, yearning, all of that. Pushing mile on mile among cloudy peaks, old trees, deserted paths, deep mountains, somewhere a bell. Brook voices choke over craggy boulders. Sun rays turn cold in the green pines. At dusk, by the bend of a deserted pond. Peaceful meditation calms poison dragons. So, so here we are at the edge of a peaceful pond. And all the things we've gone through to, to come to this evening. Peaceful meditation calms poison dragons. trying to think of which story to tell tonight. And I don't want you to think that it's always all about stories, but in the stories there are some really wonderful teachings. It's kind of crazy wisdom stuff. And Sunam's basic teachings can fit into something called the three ratna. Those are the three jewels the three great learnings, the meditation formula, three great learnings in case you don't know, prajna, wisdom, shila, samadhi, concentration, and um, shila, no, what's uh, wisdom? Shila, Shila, samadhi, and prajna. Um, I'm getting mixed up. Ethics, Ethics. morality. You go ahead. Sorry, ethics was the one you were missing. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. So there's, and in Yebel, when we started, the precepts were there. And then he puts us, gives us the meditation formula, and he says, it's all self-help. Yeah. And it's all about first-hand experience, not picking it up from somewhere else, but really knowing it yourself. So the story I chose just, there's a whole bunch of stories, as you know. I think one of these days, if I write a book, it'll be the books I heard from, or the stories I heard from Sunam, or the things that Sunam made me do. <laughs> were really great stories. <laughs> and well, I did them, so it, was, it wasn't really forced. So I guess I'll tell you about that one. And having two daughters, Grima and Gomani, in, um, in Ann Arbor. And Sunam phoning me when I first went there. He almost phoned me every day. 
to make sure I was doing everything all right. Because he had to come back here to look after this temple. And I wasn't really looking. So I had to be called every day to see. For instance, one day I took uh, a letter to the mailbox, I told him. And he asked me, are you sure? No, I told him. I didn't take it to the mailbox. The postman was there, so I gave it directly to the postman. So then he phoned me back and he said, are you sure it was a mail truck? (laughs) (laughs) He was really on me. So at one point, he said, Haju? No, my name was Suka then. You need a vacation. You should go to Mexico. I said, oh, no, I can't. I've got the girls, and the temple is so busy. And I have to make sure it's a mail truck, (laughs) metaphorically speaking. There's a lot to take care of. He said, no, no, you need to go. And uh, But I, I was very resistant. And this was in the fall of the year. And um, so in January, he phoned me again. And he said, you know, have you made those reservations to go to Mexico? And I said, no, and I'm not going to go. I have to stay here. There's too much to do here. He said, no, you need to go. And then he would phone me very regularly to ask me if I'd made the reservations. So finally, I decided, okay, I'll go. And I did make the reservations and made plans for um, the girls to get taken care of, etc., etc., all the temple. And it was in the February. And I was going to leave the next day by plane to go to Puerto Vallarta. And he phoned me, and he said, uh, you all ready to go? And I said, yeah. He said, well, I want you to find your life partner. I said, what? (laughs) 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 And he said, yeah, yeah, find your life partner. And he said, and I want you to get a nice dress (laughs) and put on some lipstick. (laughs) This is a true story. And I said, what? (laughs) I mean, um, it was trouble enough for me to go to Mexico, (laughs) Puerto Vallarta, and and then also to have this mission to find my life partner and, and, you know, get dressed up. So while I went, and it was, you know, off the plane and into the bus that took me to a quite a little area where I had quite a very humble little room with a bathroom. And the beach was about a couple of blocks down. So I walked down to the beach almost as soon as I unpacked and just to look around. There were a lot of people around, quite a lot of men. And I thought, well... (laughs) (laughs) and uh, so they also on the beach they were selling you know how you can buy hats on the beach and they have shirts and well they were selling dresses you know so I went to one of the vendors and started looking and and uh didn't make a choice because I couldn't decide which one. And uh, so I went back to where I was sitting on my towel and there were some fellows next to me and I told them that I'd been, I had had to get a dress. And uh, they said, what are you doing? I said, well, I told them and I need a dress. 
They said, oh, we'll help you. We're good at that. So these guys helped me get a dress. And uh, because he told me about the lipstick, I borrowed my daughter's lipstick, so I had that with me. Yeah. And it turned out that all these guys that were around were gay. <laughs> and so they invited me to their parties. And I had quite a, quite a wonderful time with them. I also went on little cruises and, um, you know, talked to different men that I saw. And so it went. It was a, a really interesting time to put on that dress. I still have it in my closet at the temple in Ann Arbor. It's kind of a crossover, two pieces. One here crossover and you tie it, and it's sort of black and gray. And uh, the bottom is the same, a wraparound, and it's down to my ankles. So I, well, I haven't worn much, many dresses since I came to the temple like that. Sana does much more than me. <laughs> but. Um, so I wore it a lot, and I put on the lipstick a lot, and I got around. But when I finally went to the plane to come back home, I didn't have the partners. <laughs> so I came back to Ann Arbor. And of course, because he called me every day, as soon as I got back, he called me. Did you find your partner? <laughs> I said, yes. And he said, oh, who? I said, me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so because, I mean, actually, it's the truth. We are our own best partner. We ain't got nothing if we haven't got, you know, kind of a friendship with ourselves and a good relationship with ourselves. And that's what we would share if there was anybody else around. <laughs> so he didn't ask me to do any more things like that. <laughs> so, but I've been at work ever since, you know, working on me as my best partner. And I think it's each of our jobs in a certain sense. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. So this is what this is also about, then, this retreat. You know, the Buddha said, um, no, his disciple Ananda said to him, he said, uh, you know that Ananda was the disciple who had a really good memory? And eventually it was Ananda who had memorized most of the scriptures. And so he was the one that dictated them so they could be written down eventually. But it was really an oral tradition at the beginning. So he heard every one of the Buddha's talks. And so one day he said to the Buddha, I think that, you know, I've listened to, to all these talks that you've given. I would say that uh, friendship is about 50% uh, the most important of all your teachings, friendship. And the Buddha said, not so, Ananda. It's 100% important. And I thought, wow. To me, lately, in, you know, on my path and walking up 
the mountain that I walk up and down every day, I found that relation, relationship is the same kind of as friendship. That I am constantly in relationship to a cup of coffee, everything from a cup of coffee, to uh, a whole sink of dishes, to other people that come, to trees. I'm actually a tree person. I really go around getting to know trees, and etc. So I'm seeing everything in relationship. We say that we're part of Indra's net. It is a part of Yegel, actually. Indra's net is a net which includes everything in the universe in a beautiful net which has mirrors at the knots, mirrored jewels, which reflect all the other parts of the net. It's kind of awesome. And each of us is in relationship with all things. We just don't get it at first. But as we develop our own partnership, we begin to find and be part of that ever-reflecting net and relationships. Yeah, it kind of makes sense and it feels good in the head, in conceptions, but eventually you have to have the experience. We have to have it, and then we're on fire with our awakening, our intimacy, our Oh, let's see. Okay. Usually on the last day of, of Yang and Junction, over the years, Sunam uh, would have us do fire practice. Some of you may have done fire, fire practice before. No? <coughs> no? Mm-hmm. Never heard of it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, usually our practice is what's called water practice. So we're flowing, harmonizing with our breath, with our practice all the time. Water practice. Fire practice is when you put a little fire in it, in the practice. You heat it up a little more. And it's usually done by practicing aloud and sometimes running around mm-hmm. practicing aloud. It's a little bit of a madhouse. I hadn't done it since before the, um, uh, the pandemic because we were always doing our young injunctions on Zoom and it just was just didn't work that way very well on Zoom. So I did a couple of weeks ago in Ann Arbor, running around outside, running around inside, shouting, what is it? (laughs) (laughs) Just about killed me. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what you laugh. (laughs) Because just, you know, just like last night, I said, I need to go to bed. And I'm taking, trying to take care of myself and get a little more sleep. 
I ran around like that. I haven't been running around. I got really overheated and my heart raced. I felt like I was getting another stroke and I had to be hauled off to bed. <laughs> so when I thought about tonight, I thought, why don't we, I don't know if I can take a chance on <laughs> being in another country and having a <laughs> stroke. <laughs> so I thought, you know, there must be a way to do this practice without having to run around so much and shout around so much. <laughs> May there be no difficulties where there are difficulties, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So what I think we're going to do as we're going to go outside walking, because we need to get our energy up and it's a little cool, so it will go a little bit fast. And we're not going to shout, but we're going to, those of you who have practices that you can do alone, just start to do them. Just so with a little more spirit. And if you don't have, you know, the first time I ever did this fire practice was on a <coughs> Wednesday night sitting with Sunam like about 42 years ago, when I very first met him, and I just turned up and everybody was doing it, and I <laughs> didn't know what they were doing. And so he said, well, I'll tell you what to say. So he said, Namu, you say Namu all the time, which is Namu, going for refuge. When I think about it, it's a good one. Namu, 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 that's me going for refuge. Yeah, so if I know that we have some Vipassana folks here that probably do not practice aloud, they do not practice aloud, and there are others of you who may just do breath work, so I'm going to assign you Namu. Namu. And just to get Namu going, feeling it in your body as you walk, Namu. Those who don't have a practice that they can do aloud. Okay, are you okay with this? Are you sure?